Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard It made him cry Made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-343 of the Run Run Live podcast. Today, we talk with UK ultra runner Susie Chan, and by we, I mean Alex. (laughs) Alex caught up with her, and I did the editing, so there you go. Teamwork. Susie's story has all the elements that we see. When we talk about the transformational power of endurance sports, she was living her life not in a good place physically or mentally. She ran a race, caught the bug, and then dove quickly into the deep end with ultras and stage races, reporting it all on social media, as is often the case these days. I love the story she tells about not even having run a marathon yet, and signing up for the Marathon de Saab, which is a seven-day ultra stage race across the Sahara. And we've talked to people who have run this race before on the show, like Ray Sahab. It's definitely not for amateurs. They lost two guys there one year, a couple of years ago, in a sandstorm. It took them a while to, to find them. There you go. If you take Susie as your data point, then all you have to do is wake up one morning and start running ultras. It's easy as that. Easy peasy. Then in section one, I'm going to talk about what to do when you're struggling in a run, because I've been struggling recently. And in section two, we'll chat a bit about telling a story, but telling it into the future and using that to create a different outcome or manifest a future. So a little bit of a different angle on the storytelling theme. So happy 4th of July! I stayed home over my long weekend here in the States. Didn't do much. Got a couple runs in. Got a long bike ride. Hung out with my family. Unclogged a couple drains in the house. Yes, I have basic plumbing skills. I might be the last generation of men who can do a little plumbing, a little carpentry, a little forestry, and whatever else needs to be done. That being said, the stuff we used to learn from our fathers, you can now download from YouTube, so it all works out. Monday, on the 4th of July itself, Teresa and I dug out my old canoe. See what I did there? Dug out canoe. Yeah. So we took it out onto the Concord River. 
and we put in in Bedford and paddled up to the Old North Bridge in Concord, probably three, four miles of paddling, all flat water. And that's where the Minuteman National Park is. And that whole section of the river is park, so it was quite arboreal. It was nice. We talked about Thoreau. One of his books was A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers. And we talked about other stuff. Not as hard as running down the Grand Canyon, but a very nice few hours in the sun with my daughter. So remember, the Run, Run, Live podcast is ad-free and listener-supported, and we do this by offering a membership option where the members get access to exclusive members-only audio. So things like race reports, essays, other bits just for you. I also individually package up the intros, outros, section one, section two, all that interview stuff available make it available as standalone mp3s and you can download that and listen to it anytime i'm working on an app for you guys i just got to figure out what the specs are so for the cost of an 850 gram can of swad kesar mango pulp from india the shipping is probably a bit onerous for that cost you can be a member of the run run live support crew and there's no shipping charge for membership. And just today, I fixed the bug in the annual membership sign-up process, so it works. So links are in the show notes and at runrunlive.com. So why don't I take the cheater's way out, the shortcut, and instead of thinking up my own salient, compelling content to ease you into the episode proper, I'll quote that crazy old philosoph himself, Henry David Thoreau. It is worth the while to make a voyage up this stream. If you go no farther than Sudbury, only to see how much country there is in the rear of us, great hills, and a hundred brooks, and farmhouses, and barns, and haystacks you never saw before, and men everywhere. Sudbury, that is Southborough men, and Wayland, and nine-acre corner men, and Bound Rock, where four towns bound on a rock in the river. Lincoln, Wayland, Sudbury, Concord. Many waves are there agitated by the wind, keeping nature fresh, the spray blowing in your face, reeds and rushes waving, ducks by the hundred, all uneasy in the surf, in the raw wind, just ready to rise, and now going off with a clatter and a whistling like riggers, straight for Labrador, flying against the stiff gale with reefed wings or else circling round first with all their paddles briskly moving, just over the surf, to reconnoiter you before they leave these parts. Gulls wheeling overhead, muskrats swimming for dear life, wet and cold with no fire to warm them by that you know of. Their labored homes rising here and there, like haystacks, and countless mice and moles and wing-tit mice along the sunny, windy shore, cranberries tossed on the waves and heaving up on the beach, their little red skiffs beating about among the alders. Such healthy, natural tumult as proves the last day is not yet at hand. <laughs> on with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. So my running's been kind of crappy lately, and I figured I'd write that up, right? Turn adversity into advantage. So this article is called, What to Do When Your Easy Runs Are Hard. 
And if you're in a part of the world that considers the word suck a swear word, then you don't want to listen to this with your kids. I had a long trail run a couple weeks ago, and it sucked. It sucked in the beginning, it sucked in the middle, and it sucked at the end. And this wasn't some monster tempo step-up run. This was a run-of-the-mill, zone-two easy run. It's basically a run where you should be able to set the cruise control and take a nap. But it was hard. Like someone had snuck several large rocks into my shorts. Like the entire gravity field of the earth had been turned up just for me. It was hot and humid. The biting flies were swarming. My legs felt heavy like they were wrapped in cement. My heart rate hammered. It wasn't fun. So why do runs suck for no reason? And it's hard to tell why some days your easy runs feel hard. It could be just that day. Humans are not linear. We have normal biorhythms and cycles. We all have bad days. So the first thing to do is don't overreact. Run a systems check. Try to figure out what's going on. You might learn something useful that you could use to make the next run better and more effective. Check your nutrition. How's your fluids? How's your fuel? Did you do anything different? Maybe one too many glasses of Australian Merlot last night, huh? Maybe some fried clams or something else on your summer break has thrown your machine out of kilter for the day? Did you go into the run dehydrated? Do you have enough electrolytes? What can be learned? Maybe stop and take an Enduralite or a drink some Ucan or something? Does it make a difference? How about your physical and mental condition going into this run? Have you got enough sleep recently? Do you have jet lag? Have you been under stress? What are the patterns? Can you learn something? And check your heart rate. Was it out of sync before you started? Has it been trending high? Are you coming down with something? Do you have something and you have it going on and you just don't know about it? Look at what happened and try to tease out the why and the what can you learn. But Chris, okay, you're out there and it sucks. Now what? What are some strategies to get through it when a run sucks? Relax. Don't freak out and go negative. Every day can't be a good day. Freaking out is only going to make it worse. Focus on your breathing. Use whatever relaxation and meditation skills you have to calm your mind. Throw in some walk breaks. It's an easy run. Toughing it out isn't necessary. It's okay to take walk breaks or stop and smell the roses. It's okay to slow down. Unless, of course, you're being chased by a swarm of biting flies. Make sure you got your nutrition right. Take some fuel, some fluid, some electrolytes. See if you can catch up. See if it helps. And check your form. Straighten up. Don't slouch. Fixing your form can change your energy and your attitude. And just like runs can randomly suck, runs, especially longer training runs, can change from bad to good at some point. If you calm down, focus on your form, control your breathing, ease up a little, the suck may go away, and your run can change into a wonderful run, so don't give up on it. When nothing seems to be working, you can always try distraction. Put on some killer music. If you've got that special mix with you, the, maybe now is the time to pull it out and see if you can change your mood and save your run. If you don't have music, you can always start singing out loud to yourself. 
I know that sounds ridiculous, but belting out a loud song has changed my attitude in more than one long trail race. Who's going to care? The trees? The bears? Let your freak flag fly. If the singing doesn't work or isn't your thing, try screaming. Scream at the gods like a maniac. Seriously, you're alone in the woods. Let the universe know how you feel. It can be invigorating. And don't forget to smile. It's been proven that your physical attitude can change your mental state. So smile. I get the impression nobody believes me on this stuff, but it definitely works. Do you have a mantra? Do you have that relaxation phrase or song lyric that you can repeat over and over in your head like a kindly positive metronome to take your mind off those legs that are mired in molasses? Again, it's an easy run. It's supposed to be fun. Relax. Don't worry. Focus on your breathing and repeat that mantra. You don't have to be seated cross-legged on an expensive mat to get the benefit of meditation. Practice that self-meditation and relaxation as you run. Sometimes in a long run, you just get stuck in a bad place. Your body gets into a rut. Surprisingly, you can change your state by running a little faster. Throw in some pickups. It's counterintuitive, but sometimes a couple short pickups will change your energy level and get you unstuck. Just one to three minutes of picking them up and putting them down. Change it up. Those are some of the strategies I try to remember when my easy runs suck. Truth be told, I usually just suck it up and keep going. There is something to be said for the utility of pure stubbornness in distance running. Push through and hope the next one is better. You know what they say, you never regret finishing a run. And now for today's featured interview. Hi Susie, it's Alex. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Alex? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to have a chat with us in the Mum on the podcast. Why don't you just introduce yourself? So my name is Susie Chan and I am a endurance runner. Um, I work full time and I'm also a mum, but around that I like to run. Uh, I like to start to run anything from one mile to over 100 miles. And the thing which I like running the most are things called multi-stage ultras, which are day-on-day races, which tend to last at least three days, sometimes up to five or six days. When did you first get into running, Susie? So I got into running. Um, well, it was by accident, really. I was pretty, to be honest with you, I was sort of in my in my mid to late 30s. I was pretty unhealthy. I smoked a lot. I liked to drink a lot. I was a single mum. I was really quite unhealthy and probably quite unhappy. And my brother was doing a marathon. He wanted to run a marathon as a sort of life bucket list tick-off. And he entered the marathon. And then as part of his training, he talked to me, sort of really, really pushed me actually into running a local half marathon here where I live in Farnham. And after a bit of persuasion, I agreed and started training for it. I was pretty rubbish in my training, I'd say. I had, um, I think, you know, what I was doing. I maybe I ran up to sort of six, maybe eight miles onto the road, on the road, training for this half marathon. And when the marathon, the half marathon came around, I realised as I was on the start line that it was something called a trail marathon, which I'd never heard of. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And I was stood there in some gym shoes and an underwire bra and. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> and um, I'd been out, I'd been drinking and smoking quite heavily the night before, and it was pretty, it was pretty awful. <laughs> I ran, you know, and I felt dreadful for maybe the first, I don't know, nine miles, as you do, and then something happened at about 11 miles, I realised I was actually going to finish, 
um, which I did. And um, I, I don't know when you. I, this is a thing which never goes away. When I crossed that finish line, all the pain of the previous hours, how long it took me, sort of disappeared. And I just felt absolutely invincible. I felt, felt amazing, you know. And uh, that really was my introduction into running. I was rubbish. I think I was very, very near the, the end of the end of the field. And but I just felt amazing. I felt absolutely amazing. Got a real buzz from it, and um, decided I wanted to do uh, another one. And so um, I, I started to take it a bit more seriously after that that first half marathon. <laughs> so did you run that first half marathon with your brother? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and then and I then actually... did you run the marathon with him? No, no, I didn't run the marathon. No, the half marathon was sort of my extent of, of what I would do right. in the training. He went off and, and did the marathon. But, yeah, it was sort of my instruction to, to running. And, actually, I really, really enjoyed it. And I really um, – it was kind of a, a, at that time in my life I wasn't very happy. And it gave me a bit of a positive focus, you know, something to, to, yeah. to do, which was a bit better for me. And so um, I started just running for myself in my lunch hour. Um, and then I decided to, to enter some more races and just like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll join my local run club. And then actually I joined a really, really good running club, a really, really inclusive. It sort of didn't matter about your time, you know, really sort of social run club. And then just started to actually get a bit better at, at running. And then I think I went up to the marathon and then somewhere between, I think just after my first marathon, I think I might have not even run it yet. So I read, I started buying running magazines and I read about it called Marathon de Saab, which is, a multi-stage ultra across the Sahara Desert. And I can remember reading about this, this race in the magazine, thinking, you know, it was basically the toughest foot race in the world, and reading about it, and it seemed so insane and so ridiculous. You know, it was like, like you know, when you watch sort of wonderful I don't know, documentaries on TV, it seems like amazing. And I, I never thought I'd be able to do it, but I put it down on my bucket list. A few months later, to cut a long story short, I just put my name down on the waiting list, thinking that it will never happen. And found out uh, shortly after I put my name on the waiting list that everybody in the last seven or eight years on the waiting list has got into the race. And so <laughs> I um, really deeply panicked and started to, to properly, I mean, properly focus on training, but, you know, properly. Um, At this stage, though, you hadn't, you hadn't run the marathon even. You signed for MDS. Yeah, I signed for MDS, yeah. <laughs> I, I just didn't think I was going to get in there. And there's all these stories about that race um, that it, it's really hard to get into. Which turn out not in it, not to actually be that. So if you want to get into the marathon to start, you can get into the marathon to start. It's quite simple. And so um, yeah, and then I, I probably panicked. And then so I, I, I ran some marathons. I ran lots of half marathons. I was doing like 10k. So I just just went 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 all four running. Um, you know, within the space of maybe. So I did my first race towards the very end of 2010, and I ran the marathon subs in April 2013. And, and on the sort of run up to that, I, I did my first multi-stage ultra, just as an introduction. I think the first, the first one I did, the first ever ultramarathon I did, and ultramarathon is anything over a marathon distance, um, it, it was a race around the Isle of Wight in the UK, which is about 70 miles. And it was broken down over two days, and my figuring was that if I couldn't run around the Isle of Wight in June um, in the UK, then I wouldn't survive the Sahara Desert in, you know, in any condition for six days. So um, <laughs> that was my introduction to, to ultra running. So, so the appeal of MDS, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it was almost like a, a romantic attraction with, you know, just the, I don't know, the, the legacy of the race, the, yeah. the fact that yeah. it's, you know, in a, in a far-flung country in yeah. conditions that you're not used to. Yeah, um, very much. It's, it's one of those, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's quite a famous race. It's, you know, it's, it's quite an iconic race, and I really thought that would be the end of that, and I'd go back to running for 10Ks and half marathons. You know, it's a real adventure. It's a real adventure once in a lifetime sort of thing that you do. And little did I know that it was actually it just it was just the beginning for me. 
I guess there's probably something in there as well, which is, you know, just setting yourself a ridiculous challenge. So you, you know, I guess maybe even subconsciously, you knew that the money thing was good for you and you enjoyed it. If you set yourself a big bar challenge, you're going yeah. to carry on with that and you're going to yeah. work towards that goal. Yeah. Which will, I mean, keep you motivated and, and, and keep you out there running. Yeah, definitely. And it was, it was a really, really positive focus in my life. I mean, it got to the point, though, I mean, I did really train very hard for it. It got to the point where it was almost too consuming, you know, I was, because I worked full time, I was kind of running, going to work, and then it was over winter training, then running a half marathon after work, and then swimming one k to try to push my endurance. So I was absolutely exhausted when it got to, got to sort of you know a couple of months before. But um, a really, a really, really good focus, and I just there was nothing in my head, and in the whole, I'd always had lots of races and the lead up to it, and then actually when I got to the marathon, stop, I had nothing booked, nothing booked after because in my head it was kind of like the end of the journey. <laughs> Doing this yeah. wonderful race, you know, and then that would be that would be it. Of course, of course, you know, as, as as you as a runner would know that it's actually quite it's quite addictive. And then when you realise, which has been a main thing for me, actually, when you realise actually what you can actually do, you kind of think, oh well, I wonder if I can do this next. And then it opens up this whole world of races. There are some absolutely crazy races out there, some really staggering races and inspiring races, and just really bonkers races. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world out there, and it really just opened my eyes to this, this, these all these races and events I never knew existed, you know, which are beyond sort of 10Ks and half marathons and marathons. How, how did you step up to that distance? Like, I mean, there's a heck of a distance between a half marathon and a multi-stage ultra, even the Isle of Wight. Yeah. You know, it's... I don't know. I don't, I, I've never been one to follow a training plan. I did for my first marathon, and I think that's the only time I've ever a training plan just for one, that one race. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of making up as I was going along. I was just running, running a lot. I just used to run maybe, I don't know if you, you know, run miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, but I'd run certainly five, six days a week. And then well, some of those days I'd run, you know, with a, with a rucksack on my back. Um, but it was never really a, a, a sort of structured training plan. I just mm. run, ran more. You know, it, the, my first ultra, I don't, I think I'd run beyond a marathon distance once <laughs> I think I went up to 30 oh. miles once yeah and yeah. then just just rocked up and and tried to do it <laughs> well there's a number of people out there and, and actually my my approach to training for ultras is um it's just to do a lot of aerobic running you know yeah. and, and not not crazy mileage but but what I absolutely don't do is you know do the the fart legs or the threshold sessions or you know the tempo runs it's just yes. lots of aerobic yeah. running to get your body yeah. used to, to running at a lower pace. Yes, that's exactly what I did. And actually, I mean, I have, I have actually changed my approach mm-hmm. since I've been doing um, more and more ultras, if I'm honest. So the first couple of years I was doing it, I was doing exactly that. I was just going out, just running long and slow and not really worrying about my minute miles, you know, and that, that's what I was doing just to sort of build up the endurance. And now, with a bit of hindsight, um, it, it, it's actually... You know, I think endurance stays with you once you've got that mm-hmm. back in your legs. After a couple of years, it stays in your legs. And then what you need to do is the speed because I can't, you know, I'm, getting, I'm no spring yeah. chicken. And the speed completely disappears from my legs, um, you know, maybe in a month, you know. So I have to really, really work. And actually now I'm a lot more relaxed about doing those. Sorts. I, I don't do many, many really really long distance training ones anymore you know for for some of the longer stuff i've done 100 miles or whatever i've never never gone out and done really really serious miles in in one go i tend to spread it out over the week so it's like really i think um it absolutely stays in your legs i've done three three one hundreds now myself and each time my body is best prepared performs better 
and recovers yeah. better, and I'm not yeah. training any, any differently. I tell you what does make a difference for me, though, and, and I recognize this on a, on a recent hilly ultra I did at the South Downs Way 100, that strength training, if you're, if you're performing at a higher level, then the one thing that you, that you perhaps need to focus on is strength. Because I, yeah, and I know you do that a lot, just in your in your natural uh, sort of week to week activities. You know, you do some of your military fitness training, or I'm not very good at that sort of thing. I, I go through phases where I do, and I've actually, I mean, absolutely, it definitely works because when I do do that, I'm at my best, and I've had some of my best results. Um, but there's only so many hours in the day, so um, and I and I, I love running. So, yeah, it, it definitely, yeah. all of that definitely, definitely helps. Strength training, and I do quite a bit of yoga, kind of rubbish at stretching. Mm. Um, so all of that definitely helps. And, I mean, certainly if you're new to old training, I would say you do need to get your legs used to the endurance. You really, really do because it's, it's you know, it's, it's <laughs> it slows you down if you don't. Um, but then once you've got past to a certain level of experience, you're, you're good to ease up, I think. Okay, so, so MDS you did. And that was kind of the start of a mental few years. I mean, I, you know, obviously I, I, I know you quite well and I follow what you do on social media as well. And, um, I mean, you've done some ridiculous events. I mean, asking you to choose, yeah. like, the most memorable, uh, and to talk about it must be pretty tough, but have a crack at it. You know, what, what are, what are the, what are the most memorable events you've done? In terms of the, the difficulty or just the enjoyment? <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I think enjoyment. I think, you know. The, the enjoyment, the ones which I really, um, I mean, the very first mountain Saab, I think, probably is a very special race for me. Um, and then the, the races, that there was a couple of, you know, I put two when I was a very new runner, that's a half marathon runner, and I read about all these races. The two I put in the bucket list as ones which I would one day in my wildest dreams do, one was a mountain Saab, which I did and just learned a lot and made some proper friends for life and, it was, I was just so grateful to be there. It was just amazing. I really, really enjoyed it. So that's quite special to my heart. And it, it kind of introduced me to the whole world of ultra running. And the second race, which um, I can have nothing but absolutely wonderful memories of, is uh, where I met you, actually. And that was the first Boston. That was Boston. 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 It was such, such an iconic race. And I worked pretty hard to, to get there. You know, I came a long way from, I think, my first half marathon time was two hours, 17 or something. I can't remember what it was. You know, I was just a pretty average, average, you know, below average runner. And I just sort of threw myself at it. And I just worked. And I just really wanted to get into that race. And when I got into that race and stood on that start line, it was a real moment for me. And I didn't have a great performance, to be honest. It's a hard race to run perfect. And um, I didn't care. You know, I didn't care. I didn't care. I just wanted yeah. to save every, every, every leg-aching, awful moment. It hurt a lot, that race. But I just loved it. So that's really... And I met some really good friends, actually, when I was out there in Boston. So the ones which I have sort of really sort of strong, fond memories of are the ones where I've met great people and just, you know, and then that's, that's half... That's a lot of the reason why I run. Half the reason I run is, you know, just for the people I've met. And it's, it is actually now my social life. But there's some other moments which are pretty memorable because and those are the ones, um, and you'll know this, being a 100-mile runner, are the ones yeah. that you actually... Uh, you think you, you've kind of reached a point where you don't, you can't carry on, and then somewhere, somewhere in you, you find it in you to actually not give up and keep going. And those moments are pretty, um, they're pretty dark and they can be really hard. And then you persevere and you push through, and of course it does end. And then it's not until it finishes. You, you know, those ones are most rewarding. They're some of the most satisfying races I've had, not at the time, <laughs> but afterwards. I'm just, you know, you just get really you the sense of achievement that you've managed to push through. And I think um, probably my second hundred miler, where I was going for a particular time, and I just, you no, know, I, I, my head kind of went, 
Um, and so I was kind of battling to try and get through that. That was, um, and when I finished, that was the sense of achievement I got because yeah. I particularly hadn't done much training for it either. I just thought I'd be able to wing it and, you know. There's no such I remember that race well, Susie, <laughs> because cause you overtook me at about 60 miles, I think. Yeah, there's no such thing as an easy 100, is there? And I just I was having no. a stressful time mentally from probably miles, if I'm all honest, from mile six to about mile seventy, and then so there was a good, there was a good sort of sixty-four miles of agony, and then I think, oh, I'm going to do this, and then you feel great, of course. So that was um that was a, a tough one mentally, um and the treadmill, I mean, I just had it was just a bad day. I just had the world record. Day. <laughs> yes. You had the world record, Peter. That was not a bad day. It, it was a bad day for me <laughs> in terms of of um of my head. You know, yeah. you know, you just sometimes you go out running, you have this, and this happens just for a train run, you just pop out for a run and your lunch. It happens sometimes on race day. You just start running, you think, no, this is not working for me. And I got on the treadmill in front of all those cameras, in front of all those people, and all those people that would give up their Saturday to volunteer to do this thing. And within an hour, I thought, this this is dreadful. It's not working, you know, and then I had to, um, I had to carry on <laughs> for another 11 hours and I didn't sort of do as well as I wanted to do and then there were some things which surprised me which um, happened which I wasn't expecting so I got motion sickness and things you know that's never happened oh. before you know so things like that were just bloody tough and I didn't do as well as I wanted to do and I know I can run better in that time but however you know I broke a lot of records yeah. so I was very pleased it's, very, it's, a, it's a very black and white situation that was I was either it's not like a race where if you're having a bad day you just go oh and then you have a you know you, you post a sort of a below par time and it's yeah. okay you learn it was black or white I was either going to break the world record or I wasn't and at times when I was being sick I came perilously close to failing <laughs> so it was pretty tough I felt pretty ropey for a lot of that <laughs> What distance did you cover in? Because it was a 12 hour record. It was, was it? it was a 12 hour, yeah, it was 110 kilometres, I think. Wow. As I should know, I literally just picked up the frame certificate today downstairs, I should know. But I think it was 110 kilometres, I, 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 I broke yeah. it. It was um, funny because, um, because obviously you are all over social media in the running community, which is which is great. I think you bring a lot of uh, inspiration to people and certainly a lot of a lot of humorous people. Um, but I remember on that day you were you were broadcasting live the whole thing on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, I was I was sitting there in my lounge in a hammock. <laughs> and I why the hammock was in my lounge, but it was You were tweeting me pictures of your <laughs> Uh, but it was it was it was incredible, and like you say, you had that accountability for the people that were supporting you. Yeah, and the fact it, that there were a bunch of people watching you just yeah. to carry on. Yeah, yeah. and I got some great messages, and it was fantastic. It was, I mean, the support was just relentless, and that really, really helped. It really, really helped, and that kind of that that sort of bit of vanity that you have when you know people are watching you, and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that so that that, that helped. It really did help because if nobody was watching, I'd have probably just come back. You know, and it's another day. <laughs> I'm having a bad one, um, but no, that really helped. And then I think the other thing was the race I've just finished, which was probably um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I would say without without a shadow of a doubt, I thought the treadmill was the hardest thing I've done mentally because my head was working against me, which makes everything harder when your head's in the wrong place. You know, the, the jungle ultra was in terms of um, in terms of how tough it was physically, and the fact that my head wasn't in the right place made it particularly tough. Um, what a race! What a ridiculous race! <laughs> so, for those that aren't aware of it, I must admit I have to look it up. What is it? Where is it? And and so why was it, it quite so challenging? It's called uh, Jungle Ultra, and it's in the um, Amazon rainforest. 
and it's called sort of Andes, Andes to Amazon, it's called, and you have to run 230 kilometers. So like a lot of multi-day doctors, 230 kilometers over five days, and like a lot of those sorts of races, you have to carry everything you need to survive on your back, with the exception of water. So for this particular race, I had to carry all my food for the week, which as you can imagine is quite a bit, whole week. And then I had to carry a hammock and a sleeping bag and uh, quite a large medical kit, compulsory medical kit. And then, of course, anything else you want to carry. So I chose to carry it as a luxury. I think I had a, a mobile battery charger for my phone so I could take a photo and my Garmin. I had one change of shorts. That was it. And then at the very last minute, I put in a rain jacket, which literally was a very wise decision because it was actually quite cold at night. And so um, you have to carry all that on your back and then you have to start off at altitude. It's 12,000 foot. That's hard. And then you descend quite rapidly in the first day and into the jungle, into some of the toughest terrain, I would say, I would dare to say, on the planet. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Wow. I mean, jungle, thick, thick jungle. And then, of course, there's, and then, and then each day you finish the stage and then you have to hang your hammock up, which is quite hard when you're tired, cook your dinner, whatever you've got to eat, and then go to sleep in a, in a hammock in the jungle. <laughs> and then put it back in your rucksack, pack up. You probably didn't get a great night's sleep each night either. No, it's dreadful. No, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty bad. And I had a hammock. Yeah, a hammock I couldn't quite sit in, so I didn't even have a chair for the week. <laughs> I would sit down. And every time you sort of did sit down on the floor or whatever, or fell over, I fell over a lot, you just got absolutely covered in insects. There were just insects everywhere and biting ants and things. So, um, and then strangely, this race in particular, a lot of multi-stage ultras are set up so the toughest days are kind of in the middle. So you kind of peak in the middle and then it gets a bit easier again. But this one was ridiculous in that every day was actually harder than the previous days. So the first day I found hard. And then actually little did I know the next day was harder. And then by the time you get to the last stage, it's a, it's a, it, it was 70k, I think, on the last day. Um, and that was, and I think eight miles of that were in a river, <laughs> in a uh. proper, crossing a river. And it was probably up to my chest and I got swept down river and swim up the river to get back on the course and you know there's lots of, and there's some zip wires and things the river's particularly deep but you know it's very very deep you're not worried about you're not worried about what was in the river I tried to think about it there were caiman and, and, and things so I tried to think about it beaches yeah so the disclaimer of this race is obviously quite huge um, yeah so there was that and then just some of the ascents and the very last day actually I think we got 26 miles in and then it was um, over 5,000 ascent in 3 miles <laughs> on mud, wow. very, very wow. mud. So it was just, and you know, you sort of, you can run. It was very runnable in parts, but then the bits that you couldn't run were so uh, difficult. So like wading through a river, you know, your minute miles just drop. And yeah. it was actually, you know, I can remember at one point it took me four hours to do fifteen miles because the terrain was so relentless. And I was just, you know, I, you know, I'm not too, well, I'm not massively fast, but when you sort of reduce to that. And then you think, I've got another 20 miles this. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite, tough. It that's was tough. tough. It was but you didn't tough. just finish, did you, Susie? Where did no, you, whereabouts did you finish? Oh, I came, I was five minutes outside the top ten, which was annoying, because over a week, five minutes is nothing. <laughs> um, and then I was third lady, so I was quite pleased. I was pleased. I had to fight for that a little bit on the last day, which was tough. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> it was pretty tough. tough. There were some pretty amazing things. That's incredible. Yeah. It was, it's, I mean, it's, and, and now you get, you know, when you sort of finish a race and you kind of reflect and you forget all the hard work and look back and think that was incredible, what an experience. But um, at the time, I was like, never again, never again. <laughs> no, that, that was an amazing experience. And um, it was one of those rare times, actually, where we weren't able to follow what you were doing on social media because clearly there was no way you were going to 
get a signal no. nor have the time and inclination to no start creeping about you were doing. Yeah. But you, you, do, you do spend a lot of time, you know, like I say, inspiring others and chatting. You're a big part of the running community on, oh, on social love, media yeah. and through your blog. Just, yeah. just, just, how did that all, all start off? And I mean, you, you must spend a lot of time doing it. Uh, people ask me this quite a lot, how, how does it end up like this? And I have no idea, to be honest with you. I think when I started, ultra running was, um, women in ultra running was, was quite a small thing. Yeah. Very few women attempted something like the Marathon de Sable, for example. I remember I was, it was a very small field of runners. The first year I did it, and I, I went back and did it a second time and did much better. <laughs> and there were a lot more women that time. So when I started, I was just very much one of the yeah, asking lots of questions of how I had no, I think I think I, I mean I had no idea what I was doing, and I was asking people to make dumb questions, and people must have been like, hey, look at this girl, she's trying to run across the Sahara. And so I picked up a few followers on the on the first time round, and then I don't know, I just I don't know. I mean I think I just I just like to I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, and I think <laughs> people like you know I just like chatting with people about asking questions as well, you know, um, and I I don't really if some i like a challenge and uh right. if somebody you know says what, what about this race I, i'm not one to sort of talk i'll go oh, i'll give it a go then i'll sign up and give it a go and i think i think because that has taken me to some quite interesting places and i've done some interesting races um that that's kind of helped in terms of things like blog you know so for example i have no idea how to cycle a bike or, or swim so um so this is when you do an iron man i was like all right <laughs> Gave that now, your blogs are your, your blogs are hilarious and uh, and I know they're, yeah. they're very very well read. You know, it is only a hobby and it is supposed to be fun and I don't take yeah. it too seriously. You know, having given me that massive sob story about the jungle, I don't <laughs> I don't take it too seriously. You know, it is supposed to be um, a, a bit of fun. You know, a, a hobby is a thing that I do extra. Um, and if I do really well in races, then absolutely brilliant. And if I don't, you know, then it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Now, you do make it a lot of fun, and, and I've, and I've you know, raced alongside you in parts, and I, and I know just how much fun you bring to the events and the people around you as well, so, so that, that's kind of cool. So what next? You know, you've done yeah. the jungle, you've done the treadmill, you've done the 100 milers, the sand. Yeah, so I've got, I've, well, the, next, the, thing, the thing which is on the hit list is uh, the World Marathon Majors, so accidentally I've done three of them. <laughs> just And now <laughs> I suddenly realise, actually, that I could, uh, it, you know, quite quickly, as well, I think I can probably sort of tie that off maybe next year I'm hoping so I've got New York I'm actually qualified in New York for this November um, and I think I might be able to get into Tokyo and then it's only Chicago left so hopefully that's the real sort of you know big hit for me to try and get all, all the world marathon majors done and once again it's one of those things that actually um, statistically not very many people have actually done all, all of them mm-hmm. and I think 116 women in the world have managed to do all six so Wow, wow, wow. I know, that's, wow. That's, wow. Yeah, I know, that's only 160 women. So that's quite an exclusive list I'd quite like to, to, to get to put my name onto and just okay. yeah, have the experience. Of what those. about ultras? Are you, are you interested in Western States or UTMB? Western States or? is so, UTMB never, I've got a fear of heights, never, never. Um, okay. Jungle was bad enough. Um, yeah. so the, the, well, I'm in, I'm doing Cappadocia, Ultra Trail, which I'm on the Ultra Trail World Tour, doing that in um, in the autumn. I'm going, even saying I'd never go back to a jungle ever again, I'm going to Costa Rica in February to do um, a race which takes in jungle, a bit of hills, <laughs> and some beach. That's another multi-stage, six-day multi-stage. So that sounds fantastic. And then a real dream. I mean, if I was sort of to have a, a bucket list of races, I could just get in without any fuss. It would, I'd love to do Western States. 
which unfortunately yeah. we have to run some qualifying 100s, or Badwater Ultramarathon is, is my dream. Okay, they are they are big big targets. They're Good luck big. with that, Susie. Yeah, oh, you crazy. You'll get there. I know you. You'll get there. You'll figure it out. I'd like to. I'd like to. And then maybe so, um, one day, maybe one day, you and I, Alex, we can run Grand Union Canal. How about that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> for those who don't know, that's um, that's probably possibly the the, the the dullest race in the world ever. It's it 145 miles down the canal. <laughs> But having said that, you know, it's one of those iconic British things. It ties together the two biggest cities in the UK. Mm. Um, the, the start line is nine miles away from where I live. Oh, there you go. Pop out. Yeah, and the finish line is about a mile from where I typically work. So it would just yeah. be like one mega run commute, wouldn't it? Yeah. You could say to people that um, 145 miles is non-stop in one go. It is. And it's all flat. That's the thing that worries me about it. It's all flat. It's quite complicated okay. as well, you know, because uh, the bridges, you have to cross only certain bridges okay. and it becomes quite complicated. I've crewed, crewed it before and I was, you know, I'd only ran, I only ran six miles of it and I was confused. <laughs> I was the worst crewer in the world. <laughs> okay, well, we'll need a navigator. Hey, Steve, I'm going to have to start moving us towards the exit, I think, because okay. we're, we're coming up on time. So how do people find you out there on the world of social media? Give us your link. Instagram and, and Twitter. Twitter's the main thing, so it's Susie underscore underscore Chan, C-H-A-N, um, and then Instagram, I'm Susie underscore Chan underscore. Got it. Brilliant. And, and, and also, my website, my website on the blog is Susie-Chan.com. Susie-Chan.com. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It's great no talking worries. to you, as always. I'll speak to you soon, yeah? Yes, take care. Speak to you soon. See you out there. Cheers, Susie. Bye. 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 Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Telling a better story into the future and using social proof. I've talked and written many times about the power of telling a better story. By now, we all should agree that your story is one of the few things that you can and should control. The story you tell about yourself not only influences the way other people see you, but also crystallizes your own view of yourself. This part of shaping the narrative is basic copywriting skills and spin. It is, as they say in marketing, sometimes polishing a turd. I'm joking, you're not a turd, but that certainly is a story you could tell about yourself. I'm just a turd, but I wouldn't recommend that one. What I mean by this is that only a very small minority have an unblemished track record of success. Life is messy for the other 99.99999% of us, but that's okay. You can still polish that up and make it into a compelling story, into your story. In fact, The more challenges you have, the more tragedy and defeat that you have had to overcome, the better your story. People tend to leave out the hard bits and gloss over their failings. In fact, those are the exact things that make you human. They make you believable. They give you credibility. So work those things into your story. Don't be afraid of that. And in past articles, I've talked about how you can capture and internalize and tell your story powerfully to affect Let's assume you've done that. (laughs) You've got a great story about how you've got to where you are. You've got a powerful narrative about who you are and what you've done. But that's the past. How do you project that 
into the future. How do you do it in such a way that you can create a step change? As Peter Diamandis says, how do you go to 10 times or 10x? How do you use your story into the future? It's hard to think in terms of step change because our brains have been conditioned to think linearly. The first step is probably the hardest. You have to figure out what you want. Yeah, I know. You have to be able to answer the question, where do I want to be in 10 years? What does that look like? What type of people are doing 10 times what you are doing? Who are they? Who do they spend time with? What do they look like? That's a hard step, and it may take many months to get to. It involves self-awareness. It may involve coaching and mentoring. Be careful who you take coaching advice from because they may be stuck in your old story and you are about to create a new story. They may not be able to make that leap with you. Now that you know what you want to do in 10 years or X years or whatever, you can start creating that story. And unlike your history story, this future story has no bounds. It does not have to be grounded in reality. It does not have to be constrained. In 10 years, what does that you look like? What are they doing? How do they spend their days? Who do they interact with? What are they accomplishing? Create that future story. Have fun with it. And once you've got that story created, start telling it. As you are telling your future narrative, you are also selling your future narrative. Just like your existing narrative changed the way people look at you and changed the way you look at yourself, this future narrative will begin to transform your reality. This will not be without challenge. (laughs) If you have set your sights high enough, you will lose some of your existing support structure and necessarily have to grow a new one. And this means people and systems will try to pull you back and try to muddy up your future narrative. This is part of the birthing process, and it can be painful, but it produces new life. Wait a second, Chris, you're thinking. You're telling me to fake it until I make it? Well, yeah, a little bit, but not in a flighty or buffoonery type of way. You're not just assuming the future narrative. You're working towards it. You use it as a compass. You attract the support and building blocks necessary as you go. You're not saying, I am. Instead, you're saying, I will become. And this creates momentum in your world. This will give you a true north to judge your daily actions against. How can you leverage social proof to solidify your future narrative? Well, with today's amazing media tools and networks, it's easier than ever to create a future narrative and draw people into it. You can create a social and online presence or whatever that epitomizes that future self in an aspirational, authentic way. You declare, here's what I'm going to do, and broadcast that story widely. Like-minded individuals will rally to your cause. You will attract that support. As those like-minded individuals aggregate around your future narrative, you can leverage them for social proof. They become your references. They believe in your story, your mission, and they will help you spread your circle of influence. They will help you sell. So look to cultivate those people, those fans, those tribes, 
whatever you call them. Leverage them to build the social proof for your future narrative. And remember, you're always telling the story. You're always selling the story. And then the story begins to turn into reality. Through this process, you will continue to hustle and learn and grow. You will be pointed to new information. You will make new relationships. You will change your approach. You will gather new tool sets that enable that narrative. And without this hard work and hustle, your future narrative is a daydream. If you wake up every day telling and selling that future narrative, if you believe it, if you make it your mission, if you tell and sell every day as if you're working towards that future narrative, something will happen. It probably won't be exactly the way you told it or envisioned it, but something bountiful will happen and you'll grow and you'll benefit. Lastly, don't get caught up in the arrival fantasy. Your future narrative is not an end point, it's a mile marker. When you get there, when you arrive at that future narrative, you'll already be thinking or telling the next narrative. There's no stopping. This is a game everyone wins or no one wins, depending on how you look at it. We live in abundant times. You can do anything you want as long as you're willing to want something. You control the narrative of your life, past, present, and future. So get busy telling that story. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, I'm glad you decided to get up off the couch to transform your life, to paddle your canoe and run across the Sahara Desert to the end of episode 4-343. That's very symmetrical. Of the Run Run Live podcast. Hope you're enjoying your summers or your winter if you're on the other side of the planet. If you were on Jupiter where NASA just successfully dropped the Juno probe into orbit, your summer would be 1,083 days long. And the Europeans would still take most of it off. I'm close to pulling the trigger on a trail marathon in Indianapolis for July 31st. Even though I've been feeling less than awesome in my running lately, I figure I can just casually run it for fun, and I don't have an indie marathon yet, and both my sisters live there. We have an office there, too. I need to get out. I need to do something. And then I'm planning on doing the Wapak Trail Race. That's Labor Day weekend. You should come up and do it. It's 18 miles on technical mountain trails, a real hoot, and I guarantee it's different than anything else you've ever run. <laughs> and then I have that Spartan Beast, which I'm not super excited about, but I will do it. And finally, I told the coach I'd run the Portland Marathon with him in October. I did the Hood to Coast Relay out there last year, but I don't think that counts as a state marathon. So like I said, I really felt crappy in my runs, uh, basically since I had pneumonia in May. I'm tired and my paces are off and I feel super heavy. And I noticed my HR was spiking a bit at the end of these runs. So I called my cardiologist and they asked me to wear a 24-hour heart rate monitor. Yeah, and I've been wearing that for a couple weeks now. It's a giant pain in the... It consists of three electrodes that you stick to your chest, one above your left breast, then another two, one under each breast. I'd post a picture, but no one needs to see that. Oh, the horror. Then the three wires run down from the electrodes to a small pendant that you keep in your pocket or clip to your belt, and it's like the size of a pager 
for you millennials, pagers were texting devices before we had cell phones. In old movies from the 80s and 90s, you'll see doctors wearing them and using them. They used to beep. And the companion piece is an Android cell phone. The pendant tracks my heart and then sends any weirdness to the cell phone via Bluetooth. And then the cell phone shoots that data off to the main office where, assuming someone is watching. This is all well and good, but I don't think the designers had me in mind when they designed this rig. When I'm trail running this time of year, I sweat a lot. And I've managed to sweat off the electrodes in a few of my runs, which is unfortunate because if there is anything nefarious going on with my heart, it's going to be at the end of a long, hot run. But I'm working with it. I found a way to run the wires up through the neck of my shirt and sort of clip the deal to my camelback for yesterday's two-hour sweat fest, and that kept the electrodes in place for the whole outing, so that was good. And I don't think they're seeing anything, which is good news and bad news. The good news is that if they're not seeing anything, then it's not my heart. And the bad news is that if it's not my heart, now i got to figure out why I feel so crappy. But uh, yeah, I got a new pair of shoes too. Bought a new pair of Trail Mizunos, and I've never owned a pair of Mizunos. They're basic, high-arch, neutral cushion shoes with an aggressive tread and a decent heel lift. The toe box was a little tight, but my foot usually wins that battle. I also bought a new pair of Hoka Challenger 2s for the road. This is last year's model. I got the year-old model. I was trying to break in a pair of New Balance that I had picked up dirt cheap at the outlet store, but they just weren't cooperating. <laughs> they were a New Balance version of like a Hoka, so sort of a New Balance Maximal shoe. I mean, they were light and responsive, but I couldn't get used to the heel drop. So I got the Hokas, which were last year's model, for 84 bucks, And I know they work for me, like running on the clouds, so I'm happy with that. Because no matter how crappy your training is going, you can always use a new pair of shoes, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So Susie is a great example of someone seizing control of their life, whether intentionally or not. And the uh, you know how running is a, a keystone habit that allows you to do that. And she became the captain of her own ship, her own canoe, and we all have that capability, no matter whether we're 20 or 60. And whether your boat is a cloth coracle or a party yacht, it's all good. Thoreau in his canoe, you and I in our dinghies, grab an oar or a paddle, and I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed. So hard it made him cry. There's something to be said for the utility of pure stubbornness in distance. In distance.